Well, Happy New Year. It is good to be together. First Sunday of 2024. Uh, I'm Charles. We're going to look at that passage together in a moment. Before we do, let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a new year. Uh, As this psalm says, you are the one who crowns the year with your goodness. Uh, We pray, show us your goodness today, uh, that we might uh, savour it uh, and delight in it. And we pray that we might be a people who live lives of praise and honour and thanks and glory to your name. Uh, And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Well, last week was New Year's, uh, and lots of people have different kind of ways of marking the occasion. Some people like to stay up late and watch the fireworks. Other people like to get an early night, and so there's the whole kind of like in bed by 9pm crowd. Uh, Some people like to sit and reflect on the year. Other people like to make ambitious resolutions. I personally spent New Year's getting destroyed in Monopoly. Uh, My daughter Poppy, she comes up to me, she goes... Dad, why did you lose? (laughs) I was like, happy new year. Uh, That was my new year. Uh, In the Old Testament, uh, God's people also had different ways of kind of marking the occasion of the new year. Uh, And it seems like one of the things they did was to read and to sing this psalm, Psalm 65. Uh, You see a hint of it there uh, in verse 11. Uh, It says, God, you crown the year with your bounty. It's almost like a prayer for God to bless the year with his goodness. Uh, But I think you also see this idea of the new year in a bunch of the kind of imagery that runs throughout the psalm. Uh, See, in the ancient world, the year kind of ran according to the different seasons of the agricultural cycle. And so the year really began uh, usually the time around uh, autumn, And it would begin as they uh, prepared their fields and started to sow their seed. Uh, That would run through until the time of harvest. And when the harvest was brought in, that marked the end of the year. Uh, Once that happened, a new year began. And so the cycle went round once again, preparing the fields, sowing the seed. Uh, And if you look through this psalm, what you'll find is that a lot of the imagery going on is actually describing the kinds of things that would be happening in and around the new year. So it talks about God enriching the land and digging long furrows where they would sow the seed. Uh, It says uh, God is the one who waters the land and he's the one who blesses the crop. All things happening in and around the start of the new year. And so you can see how... Ancient Israel, they might come together at the start of the year and they might kind of sing this psalm, reflect on this psalm uh, as a way of kind of marking the occasion. But as you kind of read through this psalm, you might be wondering, um, is there more to this than simply being a nice little poem about the start of the year? Um, I don't know if you uh, noticed as we read, but there's lots of stuff about grasslands and meadows and valleys and, 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 and showers of rain. Uh, it kind of reads like a bit of a, like a William Wordsworth poem. You know, daffodils dancing in the breeze. It's all very poetic. Um, leaves me wondering, is there more going on? Uh, I think there is. Uh, the key thing to notice is that this is actually a psalm of praise and thanksgiving to God. Uh, it kind of pops up a number of times throughout the psalm, but just notice how it starts and 
ends. If you've got your Bible there, you'll notice verse 1. It says, praise awaits for you, O God in Zion. Uh, and then it finishes with, uh, what does it say? Uh, Shout for joy and sing. Sing to who? To God. It's a psalm of praise. But there's a couple of different ways that you can sing a psalm of praise. Um, the first is when you're full of joy. Uh, you're focused on God. You're ready to praise Him. And you're like, let's go. Uh, and maybe that's you uh, today. Um, the second way you can actually sing a psalm of praise is when you don't feel full of praise. Uh, and that can be for a number of reasons. And by singing a psalm like this, it's almost a way of kind of retuning our hearts. Retuning our hearts to praise God. Singing the words with our mouth until we sing them with our hearts. Uh, it's kind of like realigning refocusing our hearts. Uh, it reminds me of the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Tune My Heart to Sing Thy Praise. Uh, I wonder if that's part of why they used to sing this psalm at the start of the year. Because you know the thing about New Year's is, is it's, it's a good time to kind of hit reset, to realign. It's kind of why we set resolutions. We reflect, you know, am I going in the direction I want to be? Do I need to make some changes, some resolutions? Um, I wonder if that's kind of going on uh, in this psalm. I wonder if these people who sung this psalm, um, I wonder if they were prone to forgetting to praise and honour and thank God. And the danger was that they would just kind of slide into the new year, start preparing their crops, uh, sowing their seed, without stopping to reset, refocus uh, on God and His praise. And so singing this psalm, it would kind of retune their hearts. Sing praise to God. Um, kind of reminds me of something that happens with ocean swimming. Uh, when you're swimming in the ocean, you can't see where you're going. Uh, you don't have a black line to follow like in a pool. And so you're kind of swimming along, head down. And every few strokes, you need to actually take what's called a sighting, where you kind of lift your head and you see the land, and then you can realign, make sure you're going in the right direction. Um, I think that's kind of what's going on in this psalm. Everyone's been working away for the year, head down, working away. And this psalm is a chance to lift our heads, to, to, to see a vision of God and his glory again, uh, and to realign ourselves, to praise him, honour, thank him. Uh, so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to hit realign, hit reset. Uh, in particular, I want to take us through a bunch of the different ways that we are prone to forget to honour and praise Him. Uh, and we'll kind of work through a bunch of those. We'll, we'll go through pretty quickly. Uh, and at each point, we'll see how this psalm kind of realigns us and brings us back to praise God. So, what are some of the things that have the potential to stop us praising God? Uh, the first is suffering. Suffering. Uh, you see, when we're suffering, going through hardship, it can be hard to sing and to praise God. Um, where do we see this in the passage? Uh, it's not immediately obvious, but I think we get a hint of it in verse 1. Um, so notice it says, Praise awaits you, our God, in Zion. Um, if you've got a little footnote there in your Bible, uh, you should have a little footnote, and it might give you a little bit of a different translation. Uh, it might say something a little bit different. That's because there's a word here in the Hebrew that actually doesn't make a lot of sense when you first read it. The word is silence literally says, 
Silence is praise. Um, Robert Alter, he's a Hebrew professor at Berkeley. He translates it like this. Verse 1, to you, silence is praise, God in Zion, and to you a vow will be paid. Kind of seems a bit odd, doesn't it? Like, how can silence be praise? I think part of the answer comes when you realize what has actually come before this psalm. Um, See, if you're reading through the psalms in order, what you'll see is that um, Psalm 65 comes right after 14 psalms of lament and grief and pain and suffering. You'll read verses like this. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. And it goes on for 14 chapters. Uh, And that pattern of lament and distress is only broken when you get to Psalm 65, verse 1, when it says, silence is praise. Almost as if the ceasing of the lament is itself a kind of praise. Not because lament is bad, but because the lament has now finished. Um, I think it's connected to verse 2 of our psalm when it it says, God, he is the one who answers prayer. Uh, One of the things about grief and pain is that it can make it hard to praise God. It, it, It crowds out. All the rest, Uh, it can be hard to see God's goodness when things are so dark. And the Psalms, they invite us to lament and to bring our complaint before God. But it always holds it together with praise and thanksgiving to God. The Psalms never separate those things, they hold them together. Um, But I think that's where you see the beauty of silence being praise. I mean, sometimes we don't have the strength to sing it. Sing a loud song for joy. Um, Sometimes it feels like the only words we have are grief and anger. And in those times, it could be that a moment of silence is all the praise we have. It's not a kind of empty silence, but a restful silence. A stillness before God. Uh, It's Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. So maybe 2023 was a hard year. Perhaps you lost someone or something. Perhaps things didn't go the way you'd hoped. Maybe something happened. Maybe something didn't happen. Maybe your year was a painful one, full of distress and lament. And if that's you, I want to invite you to come. Come and sit. And honour and thank God, even if it's in nothing more than a moment of silence. Even if... The lament hasn't finished yet. Uh, David says, to you, God, silence is praise. So bring your lament to God, but let it be mingled with praise. That's the first thing that can lead us to forget, to praise and honour God. Uh, Suffering. Uh, The second thing is our sin. Um, Have a look at verse 3. David says, when we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Uh, When the Bible talks about sin, uh, it's talking about all the different ways in which we reject God's rule over our life. Uh, That can be in our thoughts, in our actions, the things we do or fail to do. And the Bible also talks about the consequences for our sins. It results in death. 
uh, the judgment of God. Those things are true, um, but that doesn't seem to be the kind of primary thing that David has in mind here. Um, here, it seems like David is almost focusing kind of on the effects of sin inside us. Um, he describes the feeling of being overwhelmed, weighed down. He says, verse 3, we were overwhelmed. Um, I think he's describing that sense of guilt and shame that weighs us down when we're confronted by our sins. It's that feeling of kind of being sick in your stomach when you realize what you've done. Um, and 14 chapters before this psalm, in Psalm 51, uh, David, he talks about the greatest mistake he ever made. Uh, it's a psalm of confession. He says, I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. It's, it's, it's there, staring at me. Uh, and in those moments, it, it can be hard to praise God. It can be hard to kind of praise God fully and freely when we're weighed down, overwhelmed. And that isn't because of something in God, but because of something going on in, inside us. Uh, it has the potential to stop us approaching God and stop us approaching Him in prayer, uh, singing, gathering with His people. Notice what David also says in verse 3. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. God alone is the one who can forgive our sins and lift that burden. Uh, and then he goes on in the next verse. Blessed are those you, you choose and bring near to live in your courts. Uh, once God has removed our sins, there's nothing that can stop us from being brought near to live in his courts to praise him. Uh, and so if you're starting this year weighed down by your sin, if that's stopping you from praising him, then come and have your sins forgiven. Have that burden lifted and be brought near. That's the second thing that can stop us praising God, our sin. And the third is pleasures. Have a look at the second half of verse 4. He goes on, We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. Um, I wonder if David included this verse because he knows that we are so quick to receive the gift and yet forget uh, the giver. Uh, it's so easy to forget that every good gift comes from the hand and the house of God. Uh, and so we forget to give him the praise and the thanks that he deserves. Um, when that happens, the things that were good gifts, they have the potential to become uh, things that kind of uh, redirect our praise away from God and onto the gift itself. Uh, Jesus uses the image of being choked by the pleasures of this world. Uh, and so... In this psalm, David, he invites us to reflect, sing uh, as a way of reminding us that every good thing comes from the hand and the house of God. Every good gift is from him. Um, if you look down at verse 11, David says, Your carts overflow with abundance. Uh, it reminds me of Gandalf kind of riding through the Shire on his cart, setting off fireworks. You know, his carts overflow with abundance. Uh, in the old King James Version, it says more literally, his paths drip fatness. His paths. Now, it's a bit of an odd image, but imagine the king who rides along and everywhere, he's go, everywhere he goes, his paths kind of drip with fatty delicacies. Pork belly. <laughs> um, Charles Spurgeon, in his sermon on this uh, passage, he says this. 
When the conqueror journeys through the nations, his paths drop blood. Fire and vapour of smoke are in his track, and tears and groans and sighs attend him. But where the great king of kings journeys, he enriches the land, his paths drop fatness. Uh, David is calling us to realign our hearts so that we give God the praise and the thanks uh, for every good gift he's given us. Uh, And so if you're here and you've had a good year, maybe you've been on a holiday to Europe, you've been eating avocado toast, um, give God thanks uh, for those good gifts. Um, Tune your heart to overflow with praise. Uh, Don't let the pleasures of this world choke your praise. Uh, There's three things that have the potential to stop us praising God. uh, Suffering, sin, pleasures. Um, I want to do the next two together. Because I think we get two metaphors in this psalm uh, that kind of, they're two different metaphors about kind of opposite things. Uh, And so you see the metaphors in verse 6 and 7. He says, uh, God, you are the one who formed the mountains by your power and who stills the roaring of the seas. Uh, And these two images of mountains and seas, um, mountains in the Psalms, they represent strength and kind of security, stability. Um, But the seas represent chaos. And that can even be in our lives. Uh, And so when David, he'll often say something like, your waves overwhelm me, God. And he's not saying he got dumped at the beach. Uh, He's saying that he's experiencing kind of chaos, upheaval in his life. Um, And so you've got mountains, stability, seas, chaos. Both of these things have the potential to lead us astray from honouring and thanking God. Uh, Worldly strength, uh, security it can lull us into, into a false sense of security where we think that really we, oh, we don't really need God to, uh, you know, to sustain us. We don't need to rely on him. Uh, and so you kind of notice your prayers kind of drying up. It's like, uh, do I really need it? I'm kind of good on my own. Uh, it can be kind of financial, relational, property, career, whatever it is, even our own kind of personal strengths, abilities. Uh, we rely on ourselves. David says, God is the one who forms the mountains by his power. He is the one who gives strength. And so give him thanks and praise. He's the one who gives it. At the same time, chaos uh, can also lead us to forget God uh, when things are crazy, when they're hectic. has the potential to kind of squeeze God out from our lives. And to that, David says, God's the one who can calm the seas. And bring stillness. Uh, So just imagine you're there maybe two and a half thousand years ago and you're kind of in the temple with God's people uh, and you're kind of singing this psalm together. Um, Some of you would have had a great harvest last year. It's a big harvest. You're feeling kind of secure, stable. Um, Others, maybe the harvest was thin. You, You feel like you're drowning. To them, to both of them, David says, Are you stable? Are you secure? Give God thanks. He's the one who forms the mountains. Uh, Or are you drowning? God is the one who can calm the seas. Give him thanks. Give him praise. Uh, Can you see, like this psalm is just calling us, wherever we are, to come, realign, and give God thanks. There's still a couple more things that can derail our worship of God. Another one is routine. Um, Maybe you're just so used to God. 
so used to church, it all just kind of feels a bit unnecessary, kind of maybe even a little bit pointless to keep on praising God. It's like, you know, been doing this for a while now. You know, do we have to keep doing this? We'll sing the song, we've sung this song, this song a thousand times. We'll sing it again. All right. It feels a bit routine. It's like a married couple who stop greeting each other. You know, they stop saying hello, they stop hugging each other because it's like, well, we did it yesterday, we'll do it tomorrow. Um, you can see how a sense of routine and even monotony might stop us from overflowing in praise and adoration of God. Uh, I think David knows this uh, because David picks up on what is perhaps the most re- routine, the most monotonous thing in the whole world, uh, the rising and the setting of the sun. It's the same every single day. Uh, sunrise, sunset. Have a look at what David says, though, about the morning and the evening. Verse 8. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. Every morning, God calls forth a song of joy. Every evening, he calls it forth again. Um, More literal translations will say that it's actually the morning and evening themselves that are calling for joy. Um, G.K. Chesterton, uh, he was a preacher. He picked up on this idea. Uh, And he noticed uh, that we often have this assumption that if something is alive, it has to be like different and it has to be changing. And if something's just repetitive, then it must be dead. We have that uh, uh, assumption. And so we kind of assume that actually there's no personal God behind this universe. It's just a clockwork. Uh, Have a listen to what he says. The modern mind rests upon a false assumption. It supposes that if a thing goes on repeating itself, it is probably dead. A piece of clockwork. People feel that if the universe was personal, it would vary. If the sun were alive, it would dance. However, the sun's routine might be due not to a lifelessness, a lifelessness, but to a rush of life. And he goes on. Could it be that the sun rises regularly because he never gets tired of rising? Is it possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun? And every evening, do it again to the moon? The repetition in nature may not be a mere reoccurrence. Uh, It may be a theatrical encore. It's like a band who finished the last song and the people are clapping and cheering. They're calling for another song, encore. And Chesterton, he says, "Uh, could it be that every day when the sun rises, that's God calling for an encore? It's exactly what David says in this psalm. You make the morning and the evening Shout for joy. Do it again. Um, If you're feeling a bit dry, maybe even a bit bored with God at the moment, can I encourage you, go and watch a sunrise. Go and watch a sunset. Uh, Every single day, it sings the same song. Glory and praise and honor to God. And every day, God says, encore. Do it again. It's like the husband who tells his wife every single day that he loves her. There's a beauty in the repetition. Um, Don't let routine stop your praise. 
But there's one more thing that has the potential to make us forgetful of praising and honouring God, uh, and that is work. Uh, See, here's the funny thing about work. We spend so much of our time doing it, and yet it can often feel so disconnected from kind of God and the gospel. Uh, And we can often be left wondering, how is God involved here and how can I praise him with my work? You know, whether it's kind of managing people, crunching numbers, teaching kids, teaching people, helping patients, working on a house, whatever it is, it can be hard to know how to praise God with these things. Uh, The danger is that our work could ultimately become disconnected from God. Um, I think that's where this psalm can help us with even just a little piece of the puzzle here. Remember the context of this psalm. They'd read this psalm at the beginning of the new year, just as they were all getting ready to start the work for the year. Uh, Similar position to us. Um, And what David does in this psalm, he actually picks up on all the different things that these people would be doing in the weeks and months to come. And he connects them all up to God uh, as a way of realigning, refocusing them. So let me show you some of those things. Uh, Verse 9, David says, You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. That's actually all the stuff that people would be doing in their coming weeks and months, preparing the land, watering it, enriching the soil. Uh, And David, he connects it to God in this picture. And he says that if the work is going to be fruitful, then it's only because God has blessed it. You see it again in verse 10. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. Um, The furrows and the ridges were those long trenches that they would plough where they would sow their seed, which means that this is actually just a description of people's work. It's the work they would do in the field, agriculture. But notice again that God is active here and he is the one making the work effective. He is the one blessing it all. He's the one who drenches the furrow, who levels the ridge. He is the one who blesses the crop. And you see, God is far more involved in our work than we think he is. And David's whole point is that we might see God's goodness in everything, um, that we'd see his blessing. Uh, Can you see what David's doing? He's working through all the ways that we might forget to honor and praise him and realigning them all. So let me ask you, What's making it hard for you to praise today? Um, Is it suffering? Uh, Is it your sin? Um, Are pleasures choking out God's praise in your life? Does your own stability make you forgetful of praising the one who establishes the mountain? Uh, Is there so much chaos going on for you that you forget to praise the one who can actually calm the seas? Um, Does it all just feel so routine? Um, Does work dominate your life and yet feel disconnected from God? Um, I imagine that each of us will have something different we need to hear today. Uh, Whatever it is, the aim of this psalm is that we would praise him. But I think um, at this point, it's worth asking, what's actually at stake when it comes to honouring and thanking God? Um, Why would you want to live a life of kind of praise to God? What's at stake if you don't? 
um, a couple of things come to mind. The first is that we should praise God simply because He is worthy. Uh, Verse 5, He is the hope of the ends of the earth. Uh, He's the one who forms the mountains and the sea. And so it's only fitting and right that we praise Him. Uh, He is worthy. But there's also another reason, uh, and it has to do with the dangers of not honouring and thanking God. Um, I think we see it most clearly over in Romans chapter 1. So in Romans 1, Paul, he starts by saying that actually God's power can be seen in creation, in all the things that God has made, which I think we see in Psalm 65. You know, the hills, the valleys, the morning, the evening, they all declare God's praise. Uh, And Paul's point is that um, everyone can see God's power in creation, But then have a look at what he says next. Uh, He says, and here he's talking about all humanity, all of us. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Uh, But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Notice that one way of describing sin and our rejection of God is actually a failure to thank him. It's almost the seed of sin, and it results in a darkening of our hearts. Uh, And Paul goes on to explain that as a result of this, we exchange the truth of God for a lie. And we start worshipping and serving the creation, all the things God made, instead of the maker. Uh, And this kind of ripples out, Paul says, into all kinds of immorality, corruption in our lives, uh, ultimately resulting in, in God's judgment against us. And so Paul, he kind of he ramps up the stakes when it comes to what seems to be something small, like thanking God. Um, and Paul says this is something all of us have done. And so we need to ask, what's the solution? Um, what do we do? And hopefully you can see that this is going to require more than just mindfulness. It's more than just kind of practicing gratitude. Um, and I think we see part of the answer in verse 4. Uh, So in verse 4 of our psalm, David says, Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We actually need God to choose us, to bring us near into his courts. Um, And notice this comes right after David said that God alone is the one who can forgive sin. So how does God choose us and bring us near? Uh, Just as we kind of close, I want to take you on a little journey that I went on this week, uh, I think this journey leads to Jesus. And I think it leads to seeing how God can bring us near. So, in the Old Testament, there were actually two times that God's people celebrated the New Year. So, the first way they celebrated it was at the start of the agricultural cycle. And that's kind of what every other nation in the ancient world did. Start of the year, start of the cycle. Um, I think that's actually kind of behind part of this psalm. You see lots of that language of the new year. But in the Old Testament, God's people also had another time when they would celebrate the new year. It was a completely different time to every other nation around them. Uh, It wasn't based on the seasons or the harvest or anything. It was actually based on one of their festivals called the Passover. Um, At the Passover... They celebrated how God freed them from slavery in Egypt. And he did it um, 
through the blood of a lamb and they'd post this kind of blood over their door and the angel of death would pass over them. Uh, And all of this happens in Exodus chapter 12, the Passover. Notice how the chapter starts. This This is the Passover. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. And so for ancient Israel, their year was actually to be celebrated at the time of the Passover, when God freed them from slavery through the blood of a lamb. Their year wasn't actually meant to be built around their work, but their redemption, their salvation. Um, Can you see what this means? It means that when Jesus died at the time of Passover, he was actually dying just as a new year was beginning. Um, I think it changes how you read this psalm. Um, God, you crown the year with your goodness. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because it was there that Jesus died to take away our sins, forgive our transgressions. This is what they remembered at New Year, the blood of the Lamb. And it's only because of Jesus that God might choose us, bring us near, dwell with him, live in his courts. And so how much more reason do we have to praise God, to shout with joy, not just because he provides water and grain, but because he has given us the body and the blood of his son. And in verse 2 it says, God, to you all people will come. Um, If that's something you haven't done before to come to God, I want to invite you to do it today. Uh, Put your trust in Jesus, be brought near, singing his praises for all eternity. So would you join with me in praying, thanking God for his son, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, um, the morning and the evening, they sing your praises. Um, Father, the valleys and the hills, they declare your glory. Uh, You form the mountains, you calm the seas, you are the giver of all good things. Father, we so often fail to glorify and thank you. And so, Father, we confess our sin, knowing that you are the one who forgives freely. And, Father, we thank and we praise you for your Son, who died for us so that we might be brought near to you. Um, We pray to you, the God of our salvation, the hope of the ends of the earth, uh, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Sing a song of praise.